All right, everybody, welcome back inside the Mid-American Bandwagon, episode 44, coming to you this week. As always, I am Zach Follador here alongside my co-host, Sam Thillman. Sam, been a big week here, NFL draft, some other news, some coaching news, some AD news, stuff like that. How are things going out in Indiana? Man, it's crazy to think that this is May 5th and we're getting, uh, I'm looking at the rundown for this episode and we've got a lot to talk about, not only NFL draft news, I mean, yeah, that that's, I'm going to leave it there because it's just, it's just going wild. Yeah, for sure. Let me ask you uh, first, before we jump into everything else here, uh, how you feeling about the Colts draft, man? I mean, Quiddy Pay from Michigan, highly sought of uh, sought after defensive end. I know it seemed like you were a little bit, uh, I don't know, a little bit iffy on some of the later round picks. So, so I'll take you through my mindset real fast. It, uh, before the draft, I did a uh, pro football focus mock draft, was just messing around. I wanted the Colts to get Quiddy Pay. I, I didn't think that they would. I thought he would be taken earlier. I saw I saw a lot of projections as basically as low as 15. I didn't think he'd drop. Excellent pick. I, I love Quiddy Pie. Michigan, for whatever, didn't really give him the snaps that I think he deserved. I mean, that's just short of – that just kind of shows where um, Harbaugh is bad as a head coach yeah, where sure. you have a beast like him and you don't use him. And then they go and draft a a guy in the second round who really is basically taking a redshirt year. When we're when we traded for Carson Wentz to win, now you're basically he he may be he may be an excellent DN five years down the road. But the point is, this year we're supposed to win now, and you kind of don't take a position which you need for a guy who's gonna who 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 a lot of people before his Achilles injury had him as a first round pick yeah. but it's just kind of confusing and then you then you don't have a third round pick then with your fourth round pick remind you we still need a left tackle get a third string quarterback Sam Ellinger who who was good in college yeah but I still prefer Jacob Easton I don't know what Chris Ballard's doing with that whole thing um, I'm, I'm not sure what else. Uh, we took Will Fries. We took a, uh, ta- we finally took a tackle in the seventh round, which was yeah. decent. Don't think he's going to play though, because we're, we've been in talks with, uh, Eric Fisher. And then I forget one other person. We also took a, um, six, five receiver, which is nice. And then a safety for some reason, but all in all first, first day is, was amazing. I'm confused by half the picks we took but Uh. zach i will give penn state a lot a shout out here for as bad of a season as you guys had you guys turn out prospects like it's no other what you guys have like six draft picks yeah i you know i'm i'm not like a i don't know james franklin i have a love and hate relationship with james franklin one thing i will always give him credit for though is he i mean he develops the talent that he gets i mean you see a guy like what micah parsons what would he go 10th or 11th or whatever yeah. and then um uh Owe goes at the end of the first round we had a couple guys on on day two a couple guys on day three yeah i mean we we always i don't know franklin always recruits well there's always talent there and we always put guys in the league 
it's just a matter of actually winning games while they're in college that sometimes frustrates me. But yeah, not a bad draft for uh, for Penn State guys at all. Obviously, the Steelers getting Fryermuth. I was a little bit, I don't know, that was an, a questionable selection to me. I don't really think we needed a tight end, but I, I don't hate it when the what, Steelers What about the Najee in the first round? You know, I I I love Najee Harris. Um, I think he'll be very good. My here's my thing with the Steelers draft, right? The the number one position of need for me was was the offensive line. Like we we weren't last in the league in rushing last year because of James Conner. We were last in the league in rushing last year because our offensive line couldn't block anybody. That's why we were last in the league in rushing. So like. I love Najee Harris. I think he'll be a good back in the NFL, but Najee Harris is not solving the problem of our run game. You know what I mean? Like we needed linemen. And so when we took Najee in the first round, I was like, okay, for sure. We're going to take a lineman in the second round. And then we took Fryermuth in the second round, which again, I love Fryermuth as a Penn state fan. I love him. I love watching him play. But that wasn't what we needed at that pick is what yeah. is my whole thing. You know, I don't know. We'll see similar. I, I feel similar to how you feel with the Colts. Like there was some good, there were some really questionable choices. Mm. I don't know. We'll see what happens come, uh, you know, come, come uh, fall camp. And, and once the season gets here, well, they got a couple months to sort everything out, but uh, nonetheless, Hey, let's, uh, let's jump into it here. We, we got a lot to get to here tonight, Sam, and um, we will get back to the NFL draft here in a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about it from a Mac perspective and talk about, you know, the, the, the Mac guys that got selected and some, you know, the, the guys that signed undrafted free agent contracts and stuff like that, but let's get to some news here first, Sam. We'll start it off with some good news with uh, Akron here. The other day introduced uh, Charles Guthrie as their new athletic director. Uh, yeah, uh, if you didn't see on Twitter, like you said, uh, President Gary Miller announced today that Charles Guthrie has been named director of athletics effective July 1st, 2021. If you don't know who Guthrie is, like I'm assuming most of our fans, if you didn't read the tweet, he he was the uh, director of athletics at University of Water Green Bay, Wisconsin Green Bay, where he served since late 2017. So, Zach, I, I'm not sure about this move just because I'm not a big uh, AD guy. I don't know whether this is a solid fit. I'm like, he, like with a head coach, you could see his past experience and you could be like, okay, he can transition easily here. But with University of Wisconsin Green Bay to Akron, I, I – I, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other other than to see how kind of the programs uh, develop over time, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I agree with you. I, I think it's always it's tougher to gauge a hire out of an athletic director than it is of a coach, just because, like you said, there's so, there, there's so much more with a coach. You can look at their win loss record and be like, OK, th this is what it is. There's a lot more that goes into it with with an AD. I think when you look at you know, uh, uh, when you look at Wisconsin Green Bay, it's a school, it's a small school, it doesn't have a ton of resources. I think that's actually one thing that stood out to me um, when when hearing him in his press conference or reading some of the articles. That's one of the things that he talked about of, you know, his, in his career is consistently like having to do more with less resources, which I certainly think when you look at the financial position that Akron is in right now, I, I certainly think that applies to Akron. 
you know, Green Bay is a, they, as a school, they have a very, very good women's basketball program. Their men's basketball program has gotten better as well. I think when, when you read the press releases on him and, and some of the things that have been talked about, I think that uh, the, the area where he might really be able to help Akron is with, uh, with, with fundraising and, and um, you know, community relations for, for the athletic department. Um, you know, you look at when you look at his press release, uh, you know, the, the article we have here on, on the Max website, uh, you know, he was at San Francisco State before he was at Wisconsin Green Bay, and he secured one of the largest athletic one time athletic gifts to the department there, doubled the amount of athletic scholarship dollars, stuff like that. I think things like that for a, at a school like Akron, where the financial resources are a little bit limited, I think those things will go a long way. I think Akron right now, though. When you look at how people reacted on Twitter and some of the things that Akron fans are saying, they're really just looking for an athletic director that will listen to the fan base. It, it seems like a lot of fans have felt like the athletic department is a little bit insulated and hasn't really listened to the wants of the fans in the in recent years, which might sound counterintuitive because they've had some success, especially, you know, in, in, in men's basketball and some other sports. But um, I don't know. I think I think he checks all the boxes. He seems like he's had an upward trajectory of success and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he's inheriting an athletic program that has a lot of successful programs and also some programs that could get a lot better. Baseball's coming back this year. They haven't had a great year. Obviously football has been a struggle the last couple of years. If he can help those programs improve, I think Zips fans will be pretty happy. I agree. And, and like you mentioned, he had, he's joining a college, which has, uh, successful programs you look at basketball you look at men's soccer for example those are yeah. two um, programs that you can build upon so the rest of your foundation be like if you could fundraise based off that maybe Tom Arth can turn that football around if you could if he can find some way to do that and then you could build upon that and just grow and grow and get the rest of the fundraising you need to the other program sort of thing because the the men's basketball team is excellent uh, men's soccer had kind of a down year, but it's usually just pushing out athletes, just pushing out wins and um, delivering accolades. So I think the foundation is there for him to kind of succeed. It's just if he's willing enough to kind of build on that foundation to uh, raise Akron to the next level, because, again, he's not going to have a ton of resources like you pointed out. Yeah, it, It's just it's just going to be I think it's going to be similar to. Obviously, you're joining a um, bigger university than obviously, but again, you're still dealing with limited resources. If um, Tom Arth can build up that football program, that opens you up tenfold to fundraising, to sponsorships, and that that can really help you out because really the number one fundraising sport is really football with all the revenue it brings in each year. So hopefully if Tom Arth can do that, I think that can kind of take some stress off uh charles's job a little bit coming in yeah completely agree completely agree i mean football is the revenue generator for most schools and i don't think akron's an exception and if you know if tom arth can get that program rolling again and you know they can get you know twenty thousand fans a week inside that stadium instead of four or five thousand that'll go a long way too so um so the way they do this with ADs, they, 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 they make the announcement a couple months out. So in this case here, Charles Guthrie, his first day as Akron athletic director will actually be on July 1st. And that will be when Larry Williams will officially step down into retirement. Larry Williams, 
Uh, he has been the athletic director there at Akron since 2015. So a six-year run there for him, some very good things that he did. And uh, Charles Guthrie is going to take over at the helm there for him coming up in July. So uh, in some other, uh, I guess, hiring and hiring, firing news, whatever you want to call it here, Sam, a little bit less positive though. If you're a Buffalo fan, uh, Lance Leipold is, uh, is gone. Kansas came in and poached him here pretty late in the cycle. Yeah. If you haven't been paying attention to Twitter, Mac Twitter has been a fire with the a <laughs> fire with this news, especially Buffalo fans and, um, Kansas during their, uh, coaching search decided to go out and get them, uh, Buffalo's head coach and Lance Leipold. Zach, I will say that, um, if you want an earlier retirement settlement, Kansas is the way to go. You look at Les Miles, you you look at the several head coaches that they've had before. Turner Gill lasted, um, he went five and 19. Charlie Weiss lasted about two years. Clint Bowen, one. David Beattie, three. And Les Miles, obviously, due to yeah. a scandal, but also his winning percentage, three and 18. I mean, if, if you went early retirement, maybe, <laughs> maybe Lance can turn this uh, Kansas program around, but knowing their history, yeah, as good as Lance is, and we know he is at Buffalo, it's going to be a whole nother program trying to change this Kansas culture to winning in the big 12. It, it's a lot different than um, rebuilding a D three team. Like he did rebuilding a um, Mac team. But if there's a person to do it, Lance Leipold is the man to do it. He's already done it twice. I mean, I, I think it's a smart move on Lance's end, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up. It's kind of, I would say, I would say a dirty move in how he kind of left things there in uh, Buffalo. So, um, yeah, a, a couple things here, a couple things here for me. I think the, to your last point there, and I don't think this is all Leipold's fault, but the timing of this is terrible. Like the, like usually when a coach gets hired away to a different school, usually this happens in, you know, January or February where you can hire a new coach and you have basically an entire off season to build a staff, put a recruiting class together, do all of these things. Kansas here really dragged their feet. I mean, first of all, they fired Les Miles on March 8th, which is very late in the, in the cycle of the year. Obviously, I, I don't blame Kansas for that. I mean, obviously, some things came to light with Les Miles that kind of forced their hand. They had to make that move. But to, to go from March 8th until May 3rd to, to make a coaching hire, that really, I mean – I don't, I'm not, I don't blame, blame Lance Leipold for taking the job, but now you leave Buffalo in a position where you basically, I mean, you have three months until summer camp starts. And on top of the fact that Leipold's leaving so late in the off season, all these reports we're looking at, you know, he's basically taken his whole staff with him. I mean, we've seen some reports say he's bringing seven assistants with him. Some reports say he's bringing 10 assistants with him. All of them mention Rob Ionello. He's bringing him with him, who Rob Ionello has been one of the, the lead recruiters for him there at, um, 
at, at Buffalo over the last couple of years. And he was named the, uh, the interim head coach, but it looks like he's going to be gone too. So I do not envy Buffalo for being in the position that they're in right now of having to hire a whole new coaching staff and keep this team together here in the next three months. When you look at Kansas though, this is a team, this is a program that the last season when they had more than three wins, now, I'm not saying a winning season. They haven't won more than three games since 2009. It's been 12 years since they even won three games in a season. I understand if I'm Lance Leipold or if I'm any coach in the MAC or the Mountain West or, or the Sun Belt or any of the group of five conferences, I understand that they have a desire to get to the Power Five level. With that said, though, I don't think Kansas is ever that job. Like Kansas is never the job that's going to lead you to long-term success. Les Miles, three and 18, David Beatty, six and 42, Turner Gill, five and 19, Charlie White, six and 22. This is not a program that's conducive to success. It's not like coaches are going to Kansas and succeeding and then getting hired at bigger and better programs. Not, I mean, it's a hard place to win. It's a hard place to win. And Lance Leipold, I don't know. I mean, like you mentioned, he's, he's had success at the D3 level. He had success in the MAC, but going to Kansas is a very different thing. I don't know if he realizes quite how big of a task he's taking on here. And I've never understood, even when Les Miles was hired, the appeal of Kansas, really, they've never had a winning culture. Like, like Kansas, I, I honestly, in this situation, I don't blame Kansas. They they pulled out their pocketbooks and were like, Let, let's take two months. Let's figure out who may be the right guy and let's go from there. They saw Leipold. They saw his track record. They saw what he can do in developing guys because we've seen how many draft picks, especially this um, this this draft that they had. And that, and that brings me to another point. Buffalo is basically screwed. Not only do you have your head coach leave, you have your – uh, numerous, numerous assistants. You have five, six, seven guys that just got drafted, including yeah. Jarrett Patterson, including your starting offensive guard, including your starting receiver, including your starting DN. Like you're basically starting for brand new, new staff, new recruits, new. I saw a a, a guy a transfer backed out of transferring to Buffalo because uh, yeah. Leipold left. You're basically just I, – I, I blame this solely on Leipold taking the money over um, sticking with what he built Buffalo. Maybe he, he saw the work he had ahead of him trying to replace all the, all the draft picks he had and thought it would just be better to start over with some other team because I'm sure he could have um, brought Buffalo back to some sort of relevance within if it wasn't this year, next year potentially, but – uh, Kansas, it's going to be a long-term project, which you need multiple years. And to do this on uh, in May is just wild to me. You're taking a job which has been notoriously just bad for head coaches in the past. This isn't like Gus Malzahn, who sees a opening at UCF, which could lead to getting back to an Auburn-type level. This is a Kansas job, which just ultimately never has panned out for anybody. And maybe... Maybe this will work out for Leipold, but I see Leipold just making Kansas Buffalo of the Big 12, essentially taking all their recruiting, all the recruiting staff, taking all of his assistants. Like, I, I don't know if this is a win for Leipold, but only time will tell. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. And the thing you, you mentioned how, you know, Leipold putting Buffalo in a very bad position here, which I, I you know, I, I certainly agree with. It's going to be tough to get recruits to go there. Obviously, again, they got to put a whole coaching staff here together. The thing that I think, if I'm a Buffalo fan, the thing that I'm worried about is that, um, just I guess for context here, for anyone that's only started following the MAC here in the past, you know, four or five years, there's a time before Buffalo hired Turner Gill, they were legitimately awful. Like if you think about how Akron has been the last couple of years, Buffalo was worse than that. So like Turner Gill started to turn Buffalo around in like the 2007 season. But prior to that, let me read you off their, their final record. So I'm going to start with 2006 and I'm going to go back to 1999, which 99 was the first year they were in the Mac in one in division uh, in the FCS. So starting in 2006 it, and going backwards to 99, they were, they went two and 10, one and 10, two and nine, one and 11, one and 11, three and eight, two and nine, oh and 11. So like in their first seven years in the FBS, they won 11 games. I mean, this was an awful, awful football program. And if they're not careful here, they could easily get back to that point. I mean, success is very fleeting in the Mac. I mean, Bowling Green has shown us that in football here over the last couple of years, Northern Illinois. I mean, this is, I, I, they got to be careful here. They got to make a good hire here because they, they easily could go right back to the basement, which I, I, I hope it doesn't happen. I wouldn't wish that on any program, but it's a real possibility. here. And, and Zach, one, one worry I have for Buffalo is that they're going to try to rush into this mm -hmm. and you can't, you can't do that. I, I think you just consider this season a lost cause and you find the right guy for your program. Cause this is going to be a total rebuild in my mind new, like, like we, we've, we've been talking about and, and I, I saw a tweet by Buffalo run that says a birdie told me that the new coach may be announced as early as Friday in my eyes. That's a mistake. I yeah. think you got to find your next basically Lance Leipold. You got to turn this program back to what it was just a season ago when they were in the Mac championship game. Like, you can't yeah. you can't just go out and see the first name you like and take that. That's not what you should do. You should build it the right smart way or like you said it's gonna it's gonna go back before the Turner Gill days and you're going to be competing with Bowling Green until they turn around for yeah. one of the worst spots in the MAC. You got to do this right. You got to build it Right. You can't you can't just hire a search committee and and hire the first guy you saw. You got to do this right. Otherwise, you're going to screw up what you have at Buffalo, because from what I saw from Lance Leipold in that Buffalo program, it was really strong. And for for them to just go out and see the, the first FCS big time coach. I just don't think is a smart move. You got to take your time. You've got to do it right. You you just can't rush into this. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you there, Sam. I, I I would be very surprised. I saw that bull run tweet as well, saying that they might name a new coach before Friday. That would I agree with you completely. That would be a mistake, and I, I would be very surprised if they named the new coach that quickly. I've seen a couple of articles going around with potential candidates. You know, some some lists and stuff like that. 
Uh, Rob Ionello was the interim coach all, that, you know, that it seemed like he was a legitimate candidate for the job, but now it seems like he's going to follow Leipold to Kansas. I've seen Kurt Signetti's name thrown around from James Madison, some, and also some, some power five assistant coaches. So we'll see what the bulls end up doing. Um, again, though, you know, a tough spot for them with the, the timing of this starting, especially with, uh, with, with all the success that they've had over the last couple of years. Um, Something that we uh, we missed last week that we didn't get a chance to talk about because of the draft, but we wanted to, to recap here this week. Um, a really strong season for both the men's and the women's soccer programs at Bowling Green there, Sam. Unfortunately, both of them bowed out in the first uh, first round of the NCAA tournament last week. Yeah, I'll start with the one I was most impressed by, and that's the women's soccer team. You play a tough opponent, SEC opponent in Ole Miss in the first round of the um, NCAA tournament. I'm not sure. Um, I'm sure Ole Miss was favored in this matchup, but they were able to hold Ole Miss to penalty kicks. And not only yeah. that, you you never like to lose, in the, let alone the NCAA tournament. Of course, you like to win. But the way they did it, 4-3 via penalty kicks, they ultimately lost, I think, I think stands out to what a season uh, Bowling Green had that they weren't just a fluke. We've seen a bunch of um, um, MAC teams kind of just fall through the cracks in the, once it comes to the NCAA tournament. But uh, Bowling Green women's soccer really gave their all. They gave Ole Miss all they could handle, and it unfortunately wasn't enough as uh, Ole Miss got the win. But, uh, Zach, I, I'm really impressed by Bowling Green's uh, effort there on uh, Tuesday night. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt at all, Sam. I mean, anytime you, you hate to lose a game in, in, in penalty kicks like that. But, I mean, to, to hold Ole Miss scoreless throughout the entire game, take them to overtime and, and hold them scoreless there as well. I mean, uh, you really – you, you can't you can't fault Bowling Green for the effort in this one. And it was a great season that they had. I mean, you would have loved to see them be able to get a win uh, in the NCAA tournament. But I mean, they finished with a, you know, a mid a Mac record of five and one overall six, one and one. They outscored their opponents 17 to three in their eight matches this season. I mean, this was a really good team, especially I mean. You give up three goals in eight matches, and then you know you hold Ole Miss scoreless in this game until uh, until penalty kicks. I mean, defensively, this was a really, really, really strong team. So you know, uh, you, you hate to see the season end this way, especially for the seniors on this team. But for uh, for for Bowling Green, for the, for the Falcons program, for Coach Walker, I mean, it, the things are things are really pointing in a good direction here for them. I think they'll be right back in this position again next year. Yeah, there's no doubt. I I don't think there's any question as to if um, Bowling Green women's soccer will be back. It's a matter of just when will they be back. Um, but yeah, yeah. Let, let's touch on the the men's uh, team real fast. They played Monmouth in the uh, first round of their tournament. Uh, both uh, again, if you don't recall, both uh, men and women's soccer for Bowling Green made it both. And unfortunately, after taking a one um, one zero lead heading into the second half. Uh, they allowed two goals in the second half for Monmouth to get the win. It's unfortunately, it's un, again, it's unfortunate to lose a a first round matchup, but again, one heck of a fight from a uh, Bowling Green men's team. Yeah, that's that's all you could ask for. And um, 
Zach, I, I think it's kind of fitting how the, the women's team kind of proved everybody wrong when Buffalo uh, fans weren't exactly happy with them being in the MAC championship in the first place. So hopefully Buffalo fans won't, won't um, <laughs> be too critical of having uh, Bowling Green in the uh, MAC championship game now that we see how much of a fight that they had in the um, first round. Yeah, I, that's a that's a great point, Sam. That's a that's a great point, and I think this is a again similar to the women's program on the men's side here, a, a valiant effort for the Falcons. I mean, you hate to blow a lead like this, especially in a tournament game. Nate Masters, like you mentioned, scored at the end of the first half there to give them the one nothing lead, but Monmouth tied it up in the fifty seventh minute, and then they got you know Monmouth's uh, winning goal came in like the eighty second minute. So you're really getting towards the end of the game there, and they just they. You know, they, their defense just couldn't hold up. But with, with both programs here, I mean, a really strong spring sports season overall for Bowling Green. You know, we, we talk a lot about the struggles of the football team and how the basketball team underperformed this year. But some really strong string, spring sports performances for Bowling Green this year. Both the men's and women's soccer team making the NCAA tournament. We had the women's volleyball team in the NCAA tournament a couple of weeks ago. Really strong uh, overall showing this the, uh, this spring season for the Falcons. So they have some momentum heading into the summer and into the fall. And we'll have to see if uh, if the football team and some of the other fall programs can can pick up that momentum. Um, in some other related NCAA tournament news, we had the uh, this past week the the first round selections. Uh, for the NCAA men's and women's tennis tournaments uh, were uh, were announced, and we got the MAC champions uh, obviously represented in in both tournaments. Western Michigan on the men's side and Ball State on the women's side. Sam, uh, yeah, we'll start on the the Western Michigan side. A matchup I'm really excited to see. You know my uh, hatred for um, Notre Dame. Western Michigan somehow <laughs> was selected to face Notre Dame in the NCAA first round. So if there's any Anything I want to win, if there's any MAC tournament team I want to win, it's the Western Michigan men's tennis team. Yeah, I wanted Ohio men's basketball to win, but just for the sake of kind of pride, I just want Notre Dame to lose. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> again, it's in uh, University of Illinois campus, uh, so unfortunately, I won't be able to attend. But the team I'm rooting for. Western Michigan, all of course, um, this brings me to the other side. Ball State was selected to face Vanderbilt in the first round for the women's tennis side. I'll, of course, be rooting for Ball State to win. But if I had to choose between the two, I'm sorry, Ball State. I'm going to have to go with Western Michigan to beat their name. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, I – I would say my my hatred for Notre Dame isn't as deep as yours. I would maybe say I have like a casual hatred. I think a lot of people have a casual hatred of Notre Dame, and, and I would put myself in that group. Yeah, Western Michigan here, though, um, as we talked about this last week, but, you know, they finished the season 22-1. and one. Their only loss was to Notre Dame back on February 13th. So they have played once this year. Notre Dame got the best of them last time. Hopefully the Broncos can can use that as uh, you know to their advantage and and make some adjustments and they'll be able to uh, to to get a different result this time here. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great wet men's tennis program at Western Michigan. I'm hopeful that they can uh, get the win here. This will be a huge win 
for their program. They did, um, they did play Notre Dame back in 2018 in the first round of the NCAA tournament as well. Notre Dame also won that matchup. So Notre Dame has won the last two matchups here in this series, hopefully for the Broncos. The third time is a charm. And then, as you mentioned, Sam, Ball State taking on Vanderbilt. Uh, Both of these games that we should say, both of these matches are taking place this Friday, the 7th. So um, if you're listening to this after Friday, uh, you'll be able to go check on the scores. But um, this is the only the second time in program history that Ball State's going to be making it to the tournament. Um, and uh, so we'll see Cardinals similar to Western Michigan, you know, Western Michigan was 22 and one in the regular season Cardinals 22 and three, both teams uh, strong, strong regular seasons in the Mac. And they certainly carry some momentum into the NCAA tournament. So best of luck to both programs there as, as they look to, to get victories for themselves and, and, you know, representing the conference in the NCAA tournament. And then uh, one last thing here in the general news segment before we move into our recap of the draft, uh, we got the the MAC uh, track and outdoor track and field championship this weekend, Sam. Um, yeah, uh, 2021 MAC outdoor track and field championships, as you said, May 7th through 8th, hosted by Miami uh, University. We have a bunch of events coming from the the women's and men's side from the heptathlon. I think that's it. The Catholic. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Um, a bunch of, I'm not going to go through all these events because there's a bunch of them. You could check it on the getsomeaction.com site. But I, uh, we, we've touched on the track and field here and there, Zach. I mean, there's a lot of events to get through. Shout out to um, once we find out the winners who all wins because, I mean, there, yeah. there's quite, there's quite yeah. a few events going on. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, uh, there's a lot here. Um, we'll, we'll be able to talk a little bit more in depth about this next week once we have the results. Um, because like Sam said, I mean, you got the heptathlon, the decathlon, you got all the, the, you know, the shot put, the javelin, all the different sprints, all the different distance races. I mean, there's a lot that happens here. Going to a track meet like this, if you ever have the opportunity, is actually, it's pretty cool to watch all these different events. Um, but so, yeah, we'll be able to talk about some of these crazy times that these MAC athletes turn in next week. But, uh, yeah, so, again, this is taking place at Miami this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Um, I would say if you're in the area, stop by and, and, and go, uh, go take it in and, you know, spend some money and, and, and watch it and support these athletes. But no walk-up tickets, unfortunately, for this event uh, per MAC policy. So that'll be this weekend. We'll be able to touch on that a little bit uh, more next week with, uh, with some of the results. Uh, before we move into the draft here, Sam, any any other anything we missed? Anything else you wanted to touch on in the news? Um, j- just briefly back on the the Lance uh, Leipold things. Buffalo fans, we we understand you're upset, but hey, maybe there's a chance that this could lead to bigger and better things for your program. Who knows? You could end up with the next great uh, Mac head coach and waiting, and you never knew until Lance Leipold. Uh, would would have left essentially because Zach, I think what his name had been in rumors for several different uh, positions for the past couple of years now. So at least you have the solace in knowing that this was the year he left. Even if this year is kind of uh, bad, you can maybe there's some actual good that comes out of that comes out of the situation. No, I, I agree. Yeah, for sure. I think back. 
you know, uh, six years ago when they hired Leipold, I think a lot of people were skeptical of it. I mean, he was a division three coach that had never coached above that level. So yeah, you're right. You never know what could happen. They could always uh, turn out to, to find uh, the, the next best thing better than Leipold. We'll see. So um, you're right. It could, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly a tough time for Buffalo, but it's an, it's an opportunity as well. So we'll see who they end up hiring. And um, I think we'll have a better idea of how they're going to move forward from there. Let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, and draw, jump into some some draft analysis here, Sam. Before we talk about the MAC athletes that got drafted specifically one by one, I wanted to get your thoughts and and your opinion because from my perspective, I'll be honest, I was I was a little bit surprised that only four MAC players were actually drafted. Like I was really surprised that that Jarrett Patterson wasn't drafted and some of these other guys that we thought might get drafted, but it was only Eskridge, Malcolm Koontz, Jalen Moore, Tommy Doyle there. Those were the only ones. Did that surprise you at all? Or was that, was that just me? No, no, I, I, I think you're completely valid. I think one point in the chat, I said, is anybody else surprised in like the fifth or sixth round um, that Jarrett Patterson is still available. And I mean, if you can get, so if you can get a valuable piece without having to spend a draft pick, I don't know if I necessarily blame these teams, to be honest, if, if you're willing to take the risk to draft him or let, let another team take him, uh, that's the risk you have to take. Uh, they, they unfortunately fell the, the draft, but I mean, if you could get, uh, we'll talk about this later, Jared Patterson as a, a UDFA, I mean, Hey, um, you can't go wrong. You can spend that draft pick elsewhere and still get a solid acquisition without having to use, I would say, one of the more uh, valuable things that a um, franchise has with it. No, no doubt at all. No doubt. So I'm glad I wasn't the only one that felt that way. And yeah, I was, Jared Patterson especially was the one that really surprised me. I, I saw him as like, you know, a third, fourth, fifth round guy or something like that. I, I guess maybe that shows how, how little I know about the draft and prospect evaluation, but I was way off there. So, but anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's get into this and let's, let's break down a little bit. Each one of these Mac prospects that actually did get drafted. We'll talk about there where, where they landed. And then we can, we can talk about some of these guys that signed uh, UDFA contracts and stuff like that. So let's start here, Sam, with, with the first Mac prospect off the board. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan, 56th overall in the second round to Seattle. Um, I don't know about you, Sam, but this feels like a pretty good fit to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will say that I was shocked that Dwayne Eskridge went this high in the second round. I was totally blown off board. I thought if anyone, Jared Patterson would have been the, the first guy off the board. And to see Dwayne Eskridge as high as he went to the 56th pick, I, I'm – I'm, a, I'm applauding Dwayne Eskridge for putting in the effort to get him to the 56th pick. I will say I am shocked that the Seahawks were to do it because uh, based off my knowledge, uh, Zach, you would consider Dwayne Eskridge kind of a slot receiver, correct? Yeah, I, I would say that's right, yeah. And, and to my knowledge, Tyler Lockett, a receiver they have, is also a slot receiver, correct? That, um, that's a good question. I, I always thought he was more of a guy that lined up on the outside, but I'm not a hundred percent certain on that. I, I could be wrong about that. You might be a slot guy. You might be right. 
Okay, yeah, because from from my knowledge, I thought Tyler Lockett was a slot receiver to so to draft Dwayne Eskridge. I'm kind of interested to see how they use him because if Tyler Lockett is the main slot guy, I'm not sure how valuable he is going to be playing on the outside. Maybe his quickness and uh, speed will make up for that at the next level. But mm-hmm. I I think Dwayne Eskridge. It can do amazing things with the ball in his hands. I'm just kind of see how he does without the ball because, it, it, as we talked about in our draft preview, this is a guy who who was the first two seasons was basically a corner, and then he started his transition to receiver. So, will that limited time at receiver hurt him? Can he develop into a a next level guy um, in the NFL? That that's kind of what I'm curious because. If Tyler Lockett's taking up the spot, I, I, I mentioned the draft preview. I kind of see Eskridge as a potential home run hitter slot receiver guy. And, yeah. and this is kind of an interesting pick, I will say. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree. I think um, I think where the reason Eskridge to me, I think that where Eskridge really caused his own stock to rise was at the senior bowl. I think people were really impressed with what he did at the senior bowl. I remember seeing Todd McShay and some other draft analysts tweeting about his performance at the senior bowl. Um, I, I do hear what you're saying about the, the Seahawks receiver room being a little bit crowded, obviously Tyler Lockett and, and DK Metcalf both had huge years this past year. So I would, I would guess because of that, you know, Eskridge probably comes in as a, you know, the, the third, you know, third receiver there. The other thing you mentioned, he's, he's dangerous with the ball in his hands. I I almost wonder if the Seahawks maybe don't put him in there as a, you know, as a kick return or punt return or type of guy that, that can, um, you know, they can get the ball in his hands that way and see what he can do. I, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I think um, obviously you have one of the best quarterbacks in the league and in Russell Wilson leading the offense there. This has been a very successful team, a team that's really good at developing players. You think about some of the guys that they've drafted over the last seven or eight years and and how they've grown. Um, I think that's kind of what I was talking about saying it was a good fit. I feel like, I feel like Seattle is very good in player development and taking their players and making them better. And so because of that, for a young guy like Eskridge, who to your point is, you know, a little bit raw, he's only transitioned to receiver here over the last couple of years. He, he could definitely benefit from that and also benefit from being around some older established receivers. I do hear what you're saying about the wide receiver group being a little bit crowded there. There's only so many passes to catch, but I think with his with I think his varied skill set could help him. Like I said, I think he could be good for them on special teams and stuff like that. We'll see what happens. It's all you know. It's the opportunity. Is you know, it's going to be what he makes of it. But I could definitely see him succeeding. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And and you mentioned the de- development. We think DK Metcalf was a second round pick, and maybe maybe he was going to be DK Metcalf throughout. But then why mm. wasn't he a first-round pick to begin with? And then uh, looking up Tyler Lockett, he was a third-round pick. So maybe maybe Eskridge could develop like the his two kind of veteran receivers that they already have there. And it's just, it's just going to be interesting to see his development, if he could develop into the, the next type guy. Because from watching him in person and watching him on TV, this dude is um, legit. Yeah, for sure. So 
best of luck to Dwayne as uh, he heads out west to uh, to Seattle and gets settled into his new role with uh, with his new team there. Let's move on to our second Mac prospect that was drafted here, Sam, in the third round. Uh, Buffalo defensive end slash linebacker Malcolm Kuntz goes to to the Raiders, uh, 79th overall. What do you think about this one? I think this is a really good find for the Raiders. You think back to when they drafted Max Crosby. We we talked about it last episode, kind of beating out the the first round pick that was Cleveland Fair with the fourth pick. And the Raiders love them, Mac defensive ends. You think back to Cleo Mac uh, when he was a top five pick. I th- I think they can develop him into a really strong kind of um, opposite uh, Max Crosby because I think that's what the 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 Raiders lacked in to get an explosive guy like um, Malcolm Coots in the third round, I think is an excellent draft pick, excellent value. You not only do that, you sure up your defensive line. You can go out and get uh, guys to surround their defense with. You have your defensive line. Again, the saying goes, you can never have too many um, kind of pass rushers. And I think Malcolm Coots, who even though last year wasn't as impressive, 2019, I think, really shows how good he truly is. Yeah, for sure. This is a guy who was consistently uh, very productive for for Buffalo. I mean, this is a guy, eight sacks in 2019, five sacks last year in in the shortened season, obviously. Finished his career with 109 total tackles, 22 and a half tackles for loss, 17 sacks over four seasons. Uh, he was all Mac both of the last two years. So, I mean, this is a guy who played at a very high level for a very long time for Buffalo. I think the thing that makes Kuntz so uh, appealing as a draft prospect, and the reason I think part of the reason, at least that the Raiders went with him is that he has some positional versatility in the fact that you know, he, he spent his entire Buffalo career as a D end, or I shouldn't say, but most of his time as a D end with his hand in the dirt. But this is also a guy who has the speed to cover running backs. He can go sideline to sideline. So I've, I've even seen some rumblings about how the Raiders, maybe they look to moving him to a linebacker and letting him play standing up and, and utilize that athleticism a little bit. But you're also right. I could see him finding a home opposite of Max Crosby on that defensive line. They have, you know, the the Raiders defense in general, I think they have a lot of older guys. They have a lot of veterans, right? So they're looking for an influx of younger talent to be able to step up and, and take over for some of those guys as they get older. Obviously, Max Crosby comes to mind. And now you have Malcolm Kuntz doing this because, you know, when you have veterans on your on your defense, like, you know, you got Yannick Ngakwe, Corey Littleton, uh, Nick Kwiatkowski, some of these guys that are, you know, they're, they're a little bit older. Uh, they've been around, they're veterans now. They're not going to be around forever. So you'd like to think that a guy like Malcolm Kuntz can learn from them and start to develop in, in the, um, with the idea of eventually taking their place. But I think this is a, I mean, he's, I think he's very underrated. I was surprised how little he was talked about. This is a guy that can, you know, disrupt the, the D line, find lanes in the backfield, can cover from sideline to sideline. You know, this is another guy I think I don't expect him to start day one, but I could see him starting on special teams and working his way into the DN rotation or the linebacker rotation and going from there. I think the Raiders got a good one here, Sam. 
Yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. I I agree with you. I think the value was there and they had to take it. I, I don't blame them whatsoever because again, people people valued uh pass rushers highly and to get them in the third round, I think is a uh, really good uh draft pick for the Raiders. Yeah, no doubt. So we'll see how he develops there. Again, I think I think the the name of the game here with these you know mid round picks is it really it's it's all about fit and it's all about finding a place where where they're going to be able to develop and grow. And I think if Malcolm Kuntz is afforded that opportunity, I think he'll have a long, very successful uh, NFL career, whether it be with the Raiders or with another organization. Um, our our next MAC prospect here, Sam. Uh, Western Michigan, again, representing well in this draft, their second, uh, their second player selected here. Uh, the 49ers went with, uh, tackle Jalen Moore, 155th pick overall fifth round. What did you think of this one here, Sam? I I think it's smart by the Niners for insurance purposes. You have a guy who you paid massively in Trent Williams, massively gave him he's the highest paid tackle right now in the NFL. And then you have their 2018 first round pick and Mike McGlinchey. Uh, I'm sorry to break it to you, Bronco fans. I don't think Jalen Moore is going to be a guy to beat them outright, but yeah. I will say if there's an injury involved, I think he can do a nice job in um, kind of helping that, helping um, support that position in the meantime. You, you think of um, comes to mind the Colts, the Chiefs, when their guys got hurt, they didn't have depth there to replace them. So I think this is a nice, a solid backup option in Jalen Moore to come in if necessary. He can learn, develop, and then come if his, um, come play if his um, uh, jersey is called, number is called. But other than that, I think this is just more of a um, depth pick um above anything else yeah i i can agree with that sam and similar to what i said about Dwayne eskridge a couple minutes ago i think jalen moore this is a guy that really solidified himself and his stock really started to shoot up at at the senior bowl right this is a guy who his i think the name of the game i think the reason why jalen moore got drafted is because of his versatility now this is a guy that played tackle exclusively at Western Michigan, started three, uh, 32 games over three years for the Broncos at, at left tackle. But when you read about what he did at the senior bowl, they had him play a, a, a number of different positions. He played some left tackle. He played some right tackle. He played some left guard and he did all of them very well against guys against a bunch of other guys that also got drafted. So I think NFL teams saw that and they saw his versatility there and his ability to change positions. They saw his size. He's six, four, three, 11. I mean, that's a big, big man. You know, that's, that's, um, a, a guy that can play any number of different positions, his body can handle that, the physicality in the trenches. I think that's probably what made him so attractive. You're right. He's definitely an insurance policy because you got Trent Williams, you got uh, 2018 first round pick Mike McGlinchey. You also, you have the fact that, um, you know, Joe Staley just retired former central Michigan alum and, you know, six time pro bowler. So they have a lot of questions on the offensive line. And I think when you have a situation like that, a guy like Jalen Moore that can play multiple positions and plug multiple holes if necessary, I think that gives 
the uh, the coaching staff there with you know Kyle Shanahan and the rest of those guys. It gives them some flexibility on the offensive line. I think that's probably what his biggest asset was on draft day. Yeah, I I completely agree. It just comes down to again. Uh, I talked about never having too many edge rushers. You can really never have too many tackles. That's why they yes. get the big bucks out of anybody on the offensive line. Protecting the blind side of uh, of a quarterback is um, valued in this league. It's all about uh, value and numbers in the NFL, and tackles are the position for that. So yeah, Jalen Moore. Proved his talent, got picked in the fourth round, and I think this was a another great pick by the Niners. Yeah, no doubt. So best of luck to Jalen as he heads out to the Bay Area uh, with uh, Trey Lance and you know, some of the other young guys they have out there with the 49ers. We'll see how that young core is able to develop moving forward. And then with our, uh, our last Mac selection of the draft here, Sam, another guy who I'm surprised did not go higher but we had uh, Miami of Ohio uh, tackle Tommy Doyle taken with the 161st pick overall by the Bills. Again, Sam, this is a guy who I felt was talked about all year. Everyone kind of knew he was one of the better players in the MAC. I was surprised. I mean, I was happy to see him get drafted, but to see him go this late, I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, I will too. I, I did notice a trend of people. It, it seemed like once people started reaching for tackles then everybody else just kind of slid down yeah sort of thing yeah. like uh probably after the second round it just seemed like the the tackles which everybody was basically it seemed like basically every team almost needed and then they didn't really draft one like it comes to mind your Steelers my Colts the Colts didn't take one till the seventh round. And even then, no offense to Will Fries from Penn State, I don't really think he's going <laughs> to a guy to come in and play. Yeah. I just don't. And it, it, it surprised me that a lot of tackles fell to where they did because I think that was a position, a heavily position needed. And there wasn't a whole lot of quality tackles to, to go around. So I'm surprised they didn't take a chance on these guys earlier. But yeah, like you said, Tommy Doyle being selected in the um, fifth round, I think similar to what we just talked about, it's another depth play. He's going to be behind two tackles and Deion Dawkins and Darrell Williams. He's a big man at 6'8", 320. Again, just a nice, um, solid uh, backup option for them. And what's interesting is Buffalo also selected Northern Iowa offensive tackle Spencer Brown in the third round. So he's got some competition on his hands. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, they know that Josh Allen is their future. They know they better protect him. So I, I figure, like you said, you can never have too many linemen and too many tackles. So he certainly does have some, uh, he certainly does have some competition there. But man, yeah, 6'8", 320. I didn't realize he, he had that big of a frame. I, I also, I didn't know that uh, he didn't even play offensive line in high school. He played defensive end. He was actually a hockey player. So that, I, I couldn't imagine someone 6'8", 320 coming at me on skates on the ice. That's pretty crazy to think about. But the fact that he has that athleticism, it may, you know, he, that, that athleticism and size combination 
that's very, that's, those are like the prototypical things you're looking for in an NFL offensive tackle. I think he has all the tools to be successful. Like you said, there's going to be some competition there in Buffalo. And obviously it's a, it's a big step up in competition, but this is a guy, you know, he's, he was first team all Mac two years in a row. Um, he was, uh, he's been a high level performer for Miami for a number of years. I think this is a guy that will do well. And if he gets a chance to start in the NFL, I think he could be a very good, uh, tackle, whether they have him on the you know left side, right side, whatever the case may be. But this is a guy that I think is, um, I think this is going to be a good, he, I think he's going to be good. I think more so than, uh, some of the other guys we've already talked about. I think Tommy Doyle has a real chance to be a good NFL player. He is the, uh, High, this is the highest selected Miami alum since Quentin Rollins was a second round pick in 2015 for, for Green Bay. So a, a good day for the Red Hawks. And uh, that so that'll that'll wrap up the the actual drafted prospects from the Mac here, which, again, Sam and I, we were both very, very surprised that there was only four Mac players drafted. Now, with that said, though. There was a number of undrafted free agents from the Mac who have signed contracts already with uh, with NFL teams. So let's go down through these, Sam. We'll just kind of go school by school. Uh, we can start off with uh, with Ball State. Uh, your guys, Antonio Phillips and Caleb Huntley, both found a home. Uh, yeah, Antonio Phillips signed a uh, contract with the Cincinnati Bengals. Caleb Huntley signed a deal with the Atlanta Falcons. I, I think... I think Caleb Huntley has a real shot to do some damage with that Atlanta Falcons. I think their starting running back is Mike Davis, if I'm correct, the free agent signing out of Carolina. But beyond that, I I think he can work his way up to a potential two to three spot if he continues work. Because a a um, I'm looking at the Falcons depth chart. You've got Mike Davis, Cordero Patterson as your number two, Quadre Olison, and Tony Brooks James. I I I think that that bodes well for um, Caleb Huntley there. I agree with you. Did do the Falcons? Did they did they get rid of Gurley? They don't have Todd Gurley. They did. On? They uh, they did not resign him. Oh, okay. Interesting. I was thinking this whole time he was going to be competing with, uh, with, with Todd Gurley. Yeah. You know, I think, so first of all, I know, uh, Caleb Huntley is from Georgia, so that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. He gets to go home to kind of his hometown team, quote unquote, sign with the Falcons. But I agree with you, Sam. I think the Falcons, not only, um, do they not have a ton of experience in that running room, running back room, excuse me, but this is also a team they have a new head coach coming in, a whole completely new regime. It's not like he's going in and having to earn the trust of his teammates and a set of coaches. You know, every every player on that roster is going to be in the same boat with this coaching staff. You know what I mean? This is a new coaching staff coming in with fresh sets of eyes. I think Caleb Huntley has a real shot there. Um, and honestly, same thing with the Antonio Phillips. You look, I mean... The, the Bengals, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. The Bengals are not good, right? They're not, they're not a good franchise right now, especially on defense, especially on in past defense. I mean, their secondary last year was awful. And I think that gives a young player like Antonio Phillips, who had a great senior season, 
that gives him an opportunity to come in and prove himself. And hey, maybe the coaching staff gives him some opportunities uh, because they don't have anything else to lose. I think at the very least, he could find himself on special teams with an opportunity to work him, work his way into the defensive back rotation there. Yeah, I, I don't disagree there. I think um, Antonio Phillips was a little bit slept on. He did have the injury, I believe, before the combine, which kind of hurt his stock, which is yeah. probably why he didn't get drafted. But I think he's an excellent shot. I think the Bengals do have some nice pieces on their uh, defense. You have especially Jesse Bates. I'm sure everybody knows about him, the kind of up-and-coming safety of Von Bell. You have Trey Hendrickson on that D-line, Sam Hubbard. So they have some nice pieces. I think, like like your credit, they Antonio Phillips can be a nice special team piece, if nothing else. But uh, their their pass coverage definitely can use an upgrade, and maybe he can see himself playing a, a few snaps here and there. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how both of them. Best of luck to both of them. Uh, Bowling Green had one. We had Quentin Morris. We talked about last week on the show, the tight end from the Falcons. He signs, uh, he signs with Buffalo, Sam. Yeah. Uh, similar to the, um, the draft pick earlier, Tommy Doyle, another Mac guy in, um, uh, Quentin Morris, uh, signed a UDFA with the, um, the Buffalo Bills, the tight end room, Dawson Knox. I'm not really sure what to make of him. It seems like he's boom or bust at times. You have a tight end room of Dawson Knox, Jacob Hollister, Tommy Sweeney, Nate Becker. A lot of times backup tight ends are used for special teams. So maybe he's that type of guy. Maybe they'll put him in the receiver room. I'm not sure how they're going to use him, but I think Quentin Morris could be an interesting um, piece if he can make the um, training camp. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think honestly, even if he ends up on the practice squad or whatever, I, I think he can find a place eventually. I mean, this is a guy that played at a very high level for three years for Bowling Green, um, you know, two-time, you know, all-max selection. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the the tight end room. There's there's a lot of names on that list there for, for Buffalo. Not necessarily a lot a lot of established names. So I do think that in camp and, and in the preseason, Quentin Morris will have some opportunities to prove himself and, you know, maybe horror his way onto the roster as a, you know, as a special teams guy or a third tight end, something like that. But I, you know, we'll, we'll see what he ends up doing. Uh, we had three uh, UDFAs from uh, from Buffalo here, Sam. The first one, obviously, the, the big name that we mentioned already, Jared Patterson signs with his hometown uh, Washington football team. Uh, yeah, yeah, like you said, Jared Patterson signing with the Washington football team. We mentioned earlier in the episode, I think this is one heck of a gift for Washington football team. They're building Ron Rivera in that team, I think is building a team that's really special out in the um, um, uh, D.C. area. I, I really like their starter in Antonio Gibson. I think what's going to hurt you is the man behind him. J.D. McKissick is a basically a passing back, and Jared Patterson isn't known for his kind of receiving ability. So I don't know how likely he is to dislodge that spot. But Peyton Barber, not a big fan of Peyton Barber. Maybe you could kind of um, replace him yeah. at, as the third string running back. But yeah, I, 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 I like Jarrett Patterson here going to the Washington football team because I think this team is really nice. No, I agree with you. And I think when it comes to fit, 
um, and like situation. I think the situation here for him is potentially really, really good. I think, you know, being he, you know, he's a high character guy and I think Ron Rivera really values that. Uh, and, and again, you know, the, the, the running back room there, I'm with you. I, you know, I like JD McKissick beyond that though. Neither of those other guys really blow me out of the water. I do agree. Antonio Gibson good is good out of the backfield catching passes and stuff like that. But I, at this point, you know, Peyton Barber, he had a couple good years for, for the Buccaneers, but he's a, he's a veteran at this point. And I think there's nothing that he does that Jarrett Patterson can't do. Might as well keep a young guy around on the roster and see how he develops. So we'll see how that goes there. I do think though, um, of all these UDFAs, you know, with him, him and Caleb Huntley, and then we'll talk about Isaiah McCoy here in a couple minutes. I think these are the guys that actually have a legitimate chance to, to make these rosters. I'm really pulling for Jarrett Patterson, though. I, I was really surprised that he didn't get drafted. And I think that, um, you know, he finds himself in a, in a good situation here in his hometown. So best of luck to him. And then two others from, uh, from Buffalo here, uh, Sam Antonio Nunn to the Falcons, Keode Awasika, the lineman to the Eagles. I, you know, I don't know. I think I could definitely see Antonio Nunn making an impact as well. Um, yeah, it, encouraging sign Antonio Nunn is actually listed on the depth chart for the Falcons as a fourth receiver. It's better than better than nothing, if anything else. You look at the receiving room, of course, you got Julio Jones, Calvin Riley, and Russell Gage, the three main receivers. Other than that, Cordero Patterson, is he really a receiver? Is he a running back? You don't really know. Frank Darby, Christian Blake, Greg Dorch, Chris Rowland. There, there's a spot there for Antonio Nunn as their yeah. fourth receiver. It's just for him to go out and get it. Falcons obviously known for their kind of receiving room. You're not going to beat out your the three main guys unless they trade Julio Jones. However, I think Antonio Nunn isn't a bad rotation, rotation piece in there for the Falcons. For sure. And I think, you know, the other thing – that uh, will, will benefit Antonio Nunn in this situation is that the Falcons, they, they throw pretty much as much as anyone in the league, except for maybe Kansas City. I mean, they're a very a pass-happy offense. Um, so there's a lot of passes to be caught there. There's a lot of balls to go around. Obviously, like you said, you're not going to unseat Julio Jones or Calvin Ridley. Um, but I think with a veteran quarterback like Matt Ryan in there, and again, you have a whole new coaching staff that um, everyone's starting from square one. Everybody's learning that new system. I think that's that'll be uh, a good situation for him there, uh, and and we'll see what I, what he's able to do with that. Um, and that's Antonio Nunn to the Falcons, and then again, Buffalo's uh, one other O lineman, Keode Awasika, picked up by the Eagles as well. Uh, the next one here I wanted to talk about, Sam, the one that I, I can't lie gets me pumped up. I talked about Isaiah McCoy last week on the show. I thought he should have been drafted, quite honestly. He didn't get drafted. He ends up signed in an undrafted free agent contract here with my Pittsburgh Steelers. Sam, I won't lie. This fires me up a little bit because I see, I've seen the, the success that the Steelers have had with Mac receivers in the past. You've got Deontay Johnson on the roster right now, obviously drafted AB many years before that. I'm not saying Isaiah McCoy is going to turn into Antonio Brown, but what I am saying is that this is a dude that has burners. He can run by anyone, anyone. He's got some size. He's got all the tools, I think. It's just a matter of getting him, you know, letting him develop and grow into his body. I think 
I think he's like six, four, but he needs to get a little bit bigger. He needs to add some size in the weight room, which I think the Steelers can definitely do. I love this pickup for the black and gold here, Sam. I can't lie. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think the Steelers are kind of the Mac team, the, the Mac representatives. If you I'm will. here for it, man. I, I am too. I can't lie. And especially when it comes to receivers, Deontay Johnson was a stud. So if Isaiah McCoy can turn anything out like Deontay Johnson, they got one heck of a steal go- getting him from uh, the UDFA market. I mean, shout out to the Steelers for finding a guy like Isaiah McCoy. We talked about in the draft preview. You really like him. I really like him. Uh, we'll have to see if he can beat out the receivers because Ray Ray McLeod, I think, has shown some sparks at times. I, I'm I'm not a big fan of James Washington. I just never have been. Him and I know they draft him because of Mason Rudolph and whatnot. Just never been a fan. So there's some opportunities there for you. Hopefully they can develop Isaiah McCoy because they have a knack for developing receivers out there in Pittsburgh like Juju, like Chase Claypool, like Deontay Johnson. So maybe they can do the same thing with McCoy here. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think um, Ray Ray McLeod, he showed some flashes last year, especially at the beginning of the year, but he started, he, he kind of tailed off at the, you know, in the middle part of the end of the season. I think the other thing is that, you know, Juju signed that one-year contract here a couple months ago to set, keep him here through this next year. I think the reason he signed that one-year deal is because he's going to be looking for big money next offseason. So I don't know how likely it is that he's going to be a stealer past this year. So there's a potential spot there. I also, you know, James Washington is coming up on the end of his rookie contract. I don't know if they'll re-sign him. So there's potentially two open spots there available that Isaiah McCoy possibly could step into if he's able to, to develop a little bit. So I'm, I'm really excited about that, though. I, I, I like him a lot, and I think he was overlooked a little bit. The last undrafted free agent we have here, Sam, uh, another guy that we've, we've talked about a lot, Manny Rugamba, defensive back from Miami, uh, ends up signing that uh, the UDFA deal with Cleveland. Cleveland, I mean, I, I like Manny's skill set a lot. I think he's a very, very good corner. Um, I don't know, though. De- like, Cleveland is so loaded on defense. They have such a, a, a crowded uh, secondary there. Everyone's coming back. I, I just I don't know how many opportunities Manny is going to get in that situation. No, I completely agree. They even drafted a corner in Greg Newsom in the first round, let alone you have Troy Hill, you have Denzel Ward already. It's it's going to be hard to get snaps either way. You 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 throw in the rest of them. Maybe you put him at safety if he has the, the characteristics of a safety. But again, it's going to be really hard to find a spot in training camp in Cleveland. They surprisingly, unlike previous years, have a really good defense. It's going to be tough for him to make a training camp, but yeah, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised. I saw Miami Ohio's um, defense kind of take a step back from the previous yeah. year, so we'll see. I'm not totally sold on Ragamba's uh, skill set just yet, but maybe he can sneak out a um, training camp spot. Yeah, I, I could I I don't know how likely it is that he makes the roster, but I I do think I don't know. We'll see. Maybe he's another practice squad guy. Um, I just, you know, again, I don't think that that's nothing against him. Mm-hmm. I think it's just uh, 
you know, it's, it's going to be tough. There's a, there's a lot of talent there on that Browns defense and that Browns team in general, that kind of pains me to say that as a Steelers fan, but that's a fact. I mean, he's, you know, they, they got a lot of talent there. So hopefully he's able to find his way there, at least make it on the practice squad or something. And maybe he can turn that into a roster spot next year or something like that. We'll, we'll, we'll see what he's able to do with it, but best of luck to all these guys, especially these undrafted free agents. I'm always pulling for these guys. The odds are kind of against them. And, uh, but you love to see it. Uh, and, and you hope that they can make the, the most of that opportunity. Let's talk real quickly here, Sam. Um, something that didn't get quite as much press here in the States, but actually uh, we had a couple of Mac guys get drafted in yesterday's Canadian football league draft. Uh, we had three Mac guys drafted there uh, in the, in the third round uh, the Hamilton tiger cats took uh, central Michigan D end Muhammad Diallo in the fourth round, Ottawa took uh, kicker slash punter, Jake Julian from Eastern Michigan. And then the very next pick after that uh, Edmonton took uh, Dominic Johnson wide receiver from Buffalo. Um, I don't know, Sam, have you like, I know like over the summer, sometimes you'll get a random Canadian football league game on ESPN. You ever watch any CFL games? I'm going to be honest. I don't, but I think the CFL did get two studs in Diallo and Jake Julian. Yeah. Uh, for one, Mohamed Diallo was a part of a um, Central Michigan obviously didn't have the best season, but one of their bright spots was their D line. And he was, he was a big part of that. And then Jake Julian one of the best special teamers um, coming out of Eastern Michigan. He was electric. Well, I would say electric, but like just a, a phenomenal punter coming out of Eastern Michigan. I, I think, I think Eastern Michigan fans had a fit when I think he wasn't on the first team all Mac just because yeah. of how good he truly was. Uh, I'm not really sure if Dominic Johnson is great yet because I think Antonio Nunn took, um, what limited touches there were away from Dominique Johnson. So since he's able to return to school, it'll, maybe he'll be able to show his talents a little bit more, but yeah, the first two Mac picks I think were really solid from the CFL. Yeah. You know, um, whenever I, whenever I first saw that these were the three guys that were drafted, I was, I was curious because I was like, I wonder, I like, I, you know, there were so many, so many prospects in from division one football that don't get drafted by the NFL. I was like, I wonder what it was about these three guys that made them attractive to the CFL. And then I look up all three of them. Sure enough, all of them from Canada, they all grew up in Canada. And if you, um, if you, if you follow the CFL at all, if you, if you know anything about the CFL, they have a rule in the CFL where, a certain percentage of each team's roster has to be Canadian born players. I, I can't remember exactly what the number is, but so a guy that grows up in Canada plays high school football in Canada and then comes to the U S for college they're they're obviously, you know, they're Canadian citizens. So they would count for, you know, for Canadian roster spots. So then when, once I saw that it made total sense to me, you know, I think again, Mohamed Diallo, I agree really, really strong uh, season this past year, all Mac first team, uh, 
you know, 19 tackles, nine solo tackles, three sacks, nine and a half tackles for loss, which was second in the Mac. He was a really, really good pickup here. I think uh, he, he was very, very good for the Chippewas this off season. Same thing with Jake Julian. Like you mentioned, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of Eastern Michigan fans that were very upset that he wasn't first team all Mac Dominic Johnson. This is a guy that, um, you know, he, he started his career at Buffalo as a, a quarterback moved to receiver uh, in his junior year back in 2019. He played in all seven games this, this past year for, for Buffalo only had five catches. He was academic all Mac. Um, you know, so this is a guy that might be more of a role player up there in, 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 in the CFL, and maybe he can grow into his role. Nonetheless, though, congratulations to all three of these guys. They get to continue their career professionally and, you know, make a little bit of money. Best of luck to them. And maybe we'll see one of them or all of them uh, in, in the NFL one day. All right. And so with that, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon, episode 44. Uh, this week and last week, obviously, a lot of, of NFL draft coverage and stuff like that. Um, we will jump back in full steam ahead to some baseball and softball coverage next week. We'll also have some uh, some reports back on the, uh, the, the track and field championships and some of the other spring sports, the tennis stuff that's going on this weekend. So we didn't want you guys to think that we're ignoring all that. We just, obviously, the NFL draft, a pretty big story right now. Uh, Sam, before we let everyone go, any final thoughts for the week? Uh, not really. I, I think a lot of uh, the NFL draft was a um, a fun time. Uh, I'm sad to see that not, not um, as many Mac people got drafted as we kind of thought, but they got some, they got some bargain. Um, they got really good values out of the, the, the UDFA market that I think could make some 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 kind of impacts um, in training camp. Agree completely. Agree completely. Looking forward to seeing what these Mac guys are going to be able to do in training camp here coming up in a couple months. That's going to do it for us here this week. As always, I am Zach Follador for Sam Philman signing off. Thank you always. Uh, thank you as always for stopping by this week, guys. We'll talk to you next Friday. Uh, thanks for stopping by. This has been episode 44 of the Mid-American Bandwagon. We'll see you next week, guys.